Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. The loudest and most intense voices are usually not the most representative ones. So if you can, like you said, explain to people who you are, here's where I'm coming from, here's who my family is. I believe these things, you heard me talk about them, you know where I stand, but I'm still going to tell it to you straight and I'm going to shake your hand and have a beer with you even after we disagree. Then I think hopefully most of the country or at least more than not will agree and, and think that you're an honest broker. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to Friday's episode of Fancy Politics, which is going to be a delight. It's It's going to be a fun episode after two very intense conversations around abortion, which you all showed up for. We're so proud of this community and the way you've Mm -hmm. continued to think about this issue with us. Thank you so much for all of your thoughtful feedback and for the messages that continue to enhance our understanding of this topic. When we talk about something this hard, it makes us so proud of this community. And once again, you all delivered. So thank you. Thank you. And today... It's going to be so much fun and refreshing. We're just going to take an exhale together and talk with Willie Geist about the state of journalism and his career and his family. There's a John Mulaney reference, which just warms my heart. So we're excited to share this conversation with you. First, we want to thank you so much for all of the progress that we're making in our Patreon drive. Your support allows us to do what we do here And we're just touched by the way that you guys are showing up. And we have this great news. Sarah, what's the great news? 
We have met our 750 patron goal in Beth and Sarah. Such a big news. I'm going to talk about us in the third person. Beth and Sarah going to the Iowa caucus in the New Hampshire primary. So, first of all, if you live in Iowa or New Hampshire and you have some hot tips for us, (laughs) please reach out and share. We will be hosting events while we're there. So if you live in Iowa, New Hampshire, don't worry. We're going to try to figure out a way for us to meet up while we're on the ground, getting you guys the best insight and coverage from these very, very important events in the electoral calendar. So as a part of our continuing Patreon drive, we wanted to talk a little bit about the $15 and $25 support levels. So for $15 a month on our Patreon page, you will get the Thursday Nightly Nuance that Beth is doing every week on the 2020 election and a bonus episode. And we wanted to give you a little sneak peek of the May bonus episode you would get. We're going to do the May bonus episode on the Electoral College, which I hate and want to burn down, and Beth does not. I value the Electoral College, so we're going to flesh out that difference. We're also going to talk about some other systems changes that we would agree on. So we talk a lot in our discussions about voting and elections. Whenever we get kind of stuck in Well, there are process problems. We know that there are things like ranked choice voting, like potentially increasing the size of the House of Representatives, like making Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. states that we both think are important. So we're going to get into all of that in this bonus episode. We think it's going to be a really interesting conversation and are excited to share it with you. At the $25 level, you get all four nightly nuances. Again, a reminder, this week they're available to everyone. So you can just go to our Patreon page, link in the show notes, and check out the nightly nuances for this week and get a feel for what Beth is doing. It's an amazing amount of research. It's really insightful. She just did one on the court decision about the House Oversight Committee's push for President Trump's financial records. And it, like I was listening to it, and it really helped me think through. And honestly, move my position a little bit on whether or not we should impeach Donald Trump. And we'll talk about that in a later episode. But that's how valuable the nightly nuances are. It's that she does an amazing amount of research. And as you're listening and you're diving, you can really think through some of the issues beyond just hot takes, which is what everybody's so comfortable doing. So that's what you get for the $25 a month at Pantsuit Politics Patreon page. And let's be honest. I really love teaching law school for non-lawyers, and that's a lot of what I get to do on the Nightly Nuance. It's really fun. So I'm excited that everyone is reacting so positively to the Nightly Nuance and joining us in our little Nightly Nuance family. I feel very connected to the people who listen to the Nightly Nuance. We really want to get to our stretch goal, which feels less stretchy because you all have been so supportive. That 1,000 patron goal is important to us because so many of you request that we come to your city. We hear all the time, please come to Texas. Please come to North Carolina. We want to do that. And if we get to that 1,000 patron goal, we will do a mini tour of five cities. And a reminder, the most fun part is that we will select one patron to choose one of those five cities. So $1 to $100 a month, there's a full range of support and rewards available based on that support. And we just so appreciate you all saying that you value what we do here and helping us continue to do it. So without further ado, we are going to share our interview with Willie Geist, delightful human being who has been so incredibly lovely to us every time we've been on Morning Joe. If you don't know, he is the co-anchor of MSNBC's Morning Joe and the anchor of Sunday Today with Willie Geist. And so without further ado, Willie Geist. Thank you so much for being here, Willie. We are thrilled to have you. 
I wanted to tell you that after we went on Morning Joe for the first time, I became the last person, I believe, on planet Earth to realize who your father is, Bill Geist, who I watched my entire childhood on CBS Sunday Morning. It's true. My he, my dad has a book out right now, and I've been doing. He's he has Parkinson's disease. It's hard for him to get out and about. So I've been doing a lot of the promotion, and people are like, "Oh, I wondered why you were talking so much about Bill Guy's <laughs> book." <laughs> it just all came together. I felt like it was all. I was like, "Okay, everything in my everything makes sense now." I'm just so intrigued because I feel like you've been in journalism so long. He has this long career, and you're you're spanning this time period where media has changed so dramatically. Like, what do you see as the arc of that evolution? What do you guys take away when you're talking about the industry between the two of you? Well, I mean, it's obviously it's totally different. He got out of Vietnam and had a couple of jobs in between, but eventually started working for the Chicago Tribune, the Suburban Tribune. He went to journalism school first, and he was a reporter for a suburban newspaper. As he says, he never actually made it to the real trip, which they let you go downtown and cover news. He was out, out in the suburbs covering, like, the softball leagues, the men's beer leagues out there. <laughs> and so, you know, the amazing thing is when he eventually he leapt from there to the New York Times, where he was a columnist when he had it called the About New York column that was three times a week. And it's amazing to think that he wrote a column three times a week that was really reporting. And there was no Google, there were no phones, you couldn't sit at your desk and like just bang out a hot take on something that wasn't considered a column. He had to go out and find stories. And he did it for seven years, he did it three days a week. And so I sort of, just as someone who's now living in the media universe we live in now where everything's on your phone, just kind of marvel at that, that I was like, how did you find these stories? Because they weren't big headliney stories. They were human interest. They were characters around New York. And it was, he would literally just get in his, it was a Chevy Citation. He had a company car, which not to brag was also our family car because he brought it home with him. <laughs> it, it was a beige Chevy Citation. And he would go drive out to Queens or Brooklyn or Staten Island or wherever and just kind of like find stories or somebody would call him with a tip or he'd hear about something from a buddy. And he found stories and wrote them up in a way that was really funny and insightful and deep and touching in some way. So, I mean, the arc is unbelievable. If you start back that far to where we are now in a, not a 24-hour news cycle, but as you both know, a minute-to-minute -minute news cycle. It's a totally different universe that I think my dad just, he you know, he watches now more from the sidelines as an observer, and he just can't believe the amount of information and the pace of stories and changes that happen every five minutes. So that storytelling is obviously a part of what you do at NBC on Sunday Today and in the Sunday Sit Down podcast, that ability to be genuinely curious about other people. Everyone's talking about your discussion with David Letterman because you, you have that running through you, I think. But you also are doing a lot of news. I just wonder how you think about the relationship of trust you have with viewers, yeah. given all of the different hats you wear, and how you want them to think about when I'm doing news, when I'm doing commentary, when I'm reaching you just as another human being sharing the world, how do you make sense of all of those roles? Well, I think, you know, there's been this debate about reporters, should they be objective? And I've always thought that that, that was a kind of a false debate because no human being is objective. We all have our implicit biases based on our experiences or where we grew up or our race, our religion. To me, the goal is to be fair. 
which is to say the audience knows that I'm not on TV driving an agenda and I'm not trying to root for an outcome or I'm not trying to fill in the blanks to get myself to the end of a story or a narrative or to support a narrative that's out there. I just want to be fair. And I mean, I... I try to do that on Morning Joe in our interviews. Obviously, there every day there are a thousand ways you could criticize President Trump, and rightfully so in most of those cases. But if there's an argument to be made for the other side, I think that should be part of the discussion as well. It's not to say I want to be the both sides guy. Yeah, but this, if it's clear cut, you know, you just state the facts. But I guess being someone who a viewer can look to and say, I feel like he's an honest broker. I feel like what he's saying is something he actually believes. I feel like he's trying to help us find the truth of the story and not to sort of help us reinforce our own beliefs or support the narrative of the day. If I can do that, and I really do think I, there's so much opinion on Morning Joe, if, if I can be the person who, and I think about this every morning, what is the person at home wondering about our conversation? Mm-hmm. Because political shows can get so deep in the weeds and so into the specifics of subpoenas and district courts and all these things. You just feels like an avalanche of detail that you just want to know what's the bottom line. What are we talking about here? Why is this important? So if I can occasionally pull us up out of those political weeds sometime and be fair about it, then hopefully I've provided some service to people who watch at home. Yeah, there's such a knowledge gap. I think so often you start, you dive in with conversations and it's hard. You can't start from zero one-on-one on every single subpoena or every single congressional investigation. So it is this balance of trying to figure out, well, where do where do we start? How do we explain so people don't feel like they're already behind before you even get started talking? I think you guys do that too, which is like, just explain it a little bit because mm-hmm. I think, and I hear this anecdotally, but I, I think it's true statistically too, is that people are exhausted by it, you know, and they, mm-hmm. and especially after the Mueller report came out and take the MSNBC audience for example, probably hanging its hat on the Mueller report and counting on a certain outcome. And the outcome wasn't as clear cut as they all hoped. They said, okay, I've invested a couple of years in this Mueller investigation, our viewers would say, and I hope it leads to impeachment, our viewers on MSNBC might say. And when it wasn't exactly clear cut from Mueller, in fact, he said that he couldn't find the evidence of a conspiracy and he left open the question of obstruction. It was frustrating, I think, to viewers and they yeah. felt like, gosh, I was so in this every morning I woke up at 6 a.m. and I stayed up till midnight with Brian to the end of the night and I followed every twist and turn in this. And I think there's just a level of exhaustion. And I, I do hear more and more people saying, let's turn our focus now and figure out if I don't like President Trump, how do we beat him? Who's the best candidate in 2020? But I think they're, I think people get tired and it's hard. Truly, as you say, people have lives, you know, they're not, they're not as immersed in this as we are because it's our jobs. They're going to work and they're going to school and they're taking care of their kids and they're actually enjoying their lives out and being outdoors even perhaps heaven forbid. (laughs) And, and they're, they just can't, you know, it's too much. It's too much. And they want to know how the story ends, I think. You're totally anticipating our next question, because as 2020 gets closer, I think what you're touching on, too, is that especially as someone in your role, you're dealing not just with news and information, but the emotion, the emotion of people who feel frustrated and overwhelmed. What I'm realizing the closer we get to 2020 and the more we talk about it is that there is like trauma. I think there's real 
trauma from 2016 that people still feel, that people are still very upset about. So how do you think about the role of journalists as we're talking about news and events, but also all this emotion that's wrapped up in these elections? There's a lot of opinion on cable news that plays along with and is a part of that emotion. Because if you're a host on MSNBC in primetime or on an opinion show, not our not our news hosts, you know that the audience is upset. You know that they're fired up. And in some, some ways, you're, you share that. You know, I think some hosts would say they share that frustration and they help provide evidence of that narrative and evidence that there is reason to be upset. So I personally try not to fan the flames of that and just add detail, add facts, add information. And if that information supports your emotions, then maybe that will get you more fired up. But I I think, to me, the intellectual argument right now is to find the right candidate to win an election against Donald Trump. And the emotional uh, that's still there, and it's still there in Congress, too, among Democrats, is to find a way to, to impeach Donald Trump or somehow get him out of office before he leaves. But I think uh, post Mueller report, I think that's a less reasonable way to go about it. And even strong Democrats and super strong. Listen, I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, so <laughs> I hear from a lot of people and it gets it's like the beating heart of progressivism on the East Coast. And they, you know, yes, they're upset, but I just hear more and more from people on the street and from people I know that they're ready to dig in on the election and, and win that way. And I think they probably had their hopes for impeachment, but I also think they understand that impeachment may satisfy an emotional need or fill some kind of void. But the fact of the matter is it's not going to run him out of office because the Senate, which would have to convict him and remove him from office, is controlled by Republicans. And they're certainly they've proven time again that they're not going to cross Donald Trump and certainly not going to overturn the results of what they believe was a fair election in 2016. You have a lot of, I'm going to say, my kind of Republican on Morning Joe, folks who are trying to be thoughtful about the issues who are not blindly loyal to the president, in some cases antagonistic to the president. I wonder what you see happening around what was called the Never Trump movement. And if you think that we'll see a resurgence of kind of old school Republican politics, or are we just in a new era? It's interesting to see whether it's in two years or six years when, when Trump goes away. How do Republicans put it back together? I mean, you have my co-host, Joe Scarborough. His conservative and Republican credentials couldn't be more clear. He was a Republican congressman and was part of the revolution of 94 and, and all the rest of it. And he left the Republican Party. And Steve Schmidt, another guy who's been on our show a lot, who ran John McCain's campaign and many others, he's he left the Republican Party. So I think it, I think what they're saying is as long as Donald Trump is the Republican Party, as long as he's the face of the Republican Party, as long as he's somehow the face of conservatism, which people like Joe cannot believe that's those words even come across people's lips, given who Donald Trump's been his whole life, which is not a conservative. I think there are Republicans like the ones you're talking about, you know, George H.W. Bush Republicans who don't see their place in that party. And so how do you go back in a couple of years or in six years after Donald Trump is gone and stitch that back together, you know, because the the people who've declared themselves and named themselves Never Trump since the campaign have been marginalized by Republicans who support Donald Trump as kind of squishes who left the Trump train and 
should have been on it and sh- should be supporting a Republican president no matter what he does. So how are those pieces put back together? You know, if there's a more conventional nominee in 2024 and they don't meet all that bombastic and don't have the characteristics and don't have the swagger that Donald Trump has, which will be hard to replicate, do the Trump, does the Trump Republican Party support that guy or that woman? I don't know. I, I just it's hard for me to see how all those pieces fall back in place after the huge fracturing and the vitriol between the different elements of, you know, the old school Republican Party that Ronald Reagan knew and George H.W. Bush, and even George W. Bush knew. Because even people who were conventional Republicans like William Barr, you know, he was H.W. Bush's attorney general. And I think a lot of old school Republicans hoped he'd come in and be a guy who sort of you know, reinstated that old energy of the old Republican Party. And he obviously has not been that. So if Donald Trump can corrupt even someone like that, who was part of the institutional Republicans for generations, I I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens to the party. How do you what happens post Trump? I don't know the answer. It's amazing that we've decided that evolution is squishiness. You know, I I think we should embrace more squishiness. Yeah, I know. I know. And even on questions like climate change, which are going to become more and more important to voters, and we've seen that as millennials get older and the generation after them, as there's a focus on that. You can't, I don't know how you win continuing to say climate change is a Chinese hoax. You know, I don't know what that's not. It's just not a tenable position. I don't think that's a political position. You can argue that how much we should be doing about it and how urgent the problem is. Are we really going to be underwater in 10 years, as some people suggest, and Al Gore has been saying for 20 years? That might be an extreme position, but to deny that it exists is going to be an increasingly radical position. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how you grow the pie with some of the positions they have right now. Mm-hmm. We will be right back after this short message from our sponsors. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So as we get closer to the election, I think we're dealing with these emotions. We're dealing with a pretty intense candidate on one side, at least, and we'll see who comes up for it on the other side. But I think we're also going to have the next sort of evolution of how we deal with quote unquote fake news. So it's it's now we understand that there are people perpetuating members of other countries or whatever, perpetuating this false information. So I think there's a higher awareness that this is a threat. But how do we how can we learn from somebody inside the industry how to be better consumers of that, how to sort it out, how to understand our role? I've been saying on the podcast, I think we should do like a hardcore World War II, loose lips, sink ships, public information campaign. You know, like we need some like graphic designers on this or something. I was going to say the good posters come with that, too. Right. Good collectible items. Yeah. Uh huh. There are different elements of quote-unquote, fake news. There's the fake news Donald Trump talks about, which is news he doesn't like, which stories that are unflattering to him, even when factual, they become fake news from sources like the New York Times, which on the one hand he worships and whose attention and approval he's craved since he was, you know, 25 years old in New York City. And on the other hand, if they write something bad, even based in fact, that they become fake news. So that's that's his fake news. But then there's actual fake news, as you say, that comes through social media, that comes through Facebook, that comes through Russian bots who start rallies that turn violent, that seek to divide the country. That, to me, that's a that is a huge and bigger problem for social media. But I think my job inside the press is to be trustworthy. I know that sounds kind of corny. And can someone who turns on a show that I'm on trust that I'm an honest broker? Because I I have found myself tuning out a lot of news, frankly, on both sides, because I know exactly what they're going to say, or I know the narrative that's mm-hmm. going to be fluffed that day. And I find that frustrating. And I find myself fishing around for straight news sources. I mean, I know 
And anytime somebody tries, you know, takes a stab at that, like Steve Ballmer, who one of the founders of Microsoft just started this group where it's like, you can come to this website, here's the issue, and here's the act, here are the facts about it. And people will say, well, Steve Ballmer, I don't know if this is true, so forgive me, it's not Steve Ballmer, I don't know, he's a Democrat, or he once donated money to Hillary Clinton, so how the hell could you trust his, well, his version of the facts, what he's putting up there, nobody... Nobody trusts anyone, and I think to me that's the real danger. You can't, you know, a conservative doesn't trust that he's going to turn on MSNBC and get get the facts, and a progressive doesn't believe he or she can turn on Fox News and get the story. So where do you go for for straight news, you know? And I think to the extent somebody can provide that on a, a major network like Lester Holt does on the on the nightly news or a lot of our news anchors do on MSNBC there i think the value of those people is only going to go up because i know where i can go for opinion i know where the hot takes are coming from but where's the place i can go and i trust the person to shoot straight and they're not predictable and they're not fluffing a narrative and they're not going along to make their viewers happy, but to tell me what happened in the story. So I think that's the way to puncture fake news. Unfortunately, I think we're so far down the road of both sides not trusting the media that comes with the other side that it's hard to sort of thread the needle and get in that lane and and be the one. But I think there will be a reward for people who are viewed that way. And there aren't a lot of them left, but I think there are enough that we can come back from it. Does it help you in being that person to have such a wide range of topics? I think on our show, people have come to trust us, even knowing our openly advertised biases, because we also talk about what's going on with our kids. And I think they feel like I know you as a human being. And so I know where you're you're telling me something based on your personal beliefs. But I'm okay with that because I know you. And it seems like you have that opportunity as well. In a big way. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think being open is big. And I think the reason people trust you on your podcast or when you come on Morning Joe or when they read your excellent book, they say, you know, okay, they're upfront about who they are. They're upfront about their beliefs. And I think the reason you guys resonate is because what you're saying, I think, you have gone up and over the bubble, which is to say Twitter and cable news, where the feelings are so intense that people will say, I don't know how anyone goes to Thanksgiving dinner with an uncle who supports Donald Trump. Boycott dinner. (laughs) (laughs) To me and probably to the two of you and to most people who live in the real world, that's an absurd idea that you could not no longer see or speak to your relatives because of politics. You can have disagreements about them, and I'm actually like making the case and stealing it from your book right now, but you can <laughs> you can have political disagreement and still get along with people. And I hear... I, you know, I hear it even some occasionally in my own family that, you know, they that they're so driven by what's happening on the news and that they lost friends and they I OK. I mean, you can have fundamental disagreements with people and you can say, I don't understand uncle or friend how you can support a man who once called for banning a billion people and Muslims from coming to the country or who's has a policy of separating kids from their moms at the border. I, I can't. It's hard for me to understand why you believe that. And I get that. And that's totally real and rational. But I also think that we have to recognize the humanity in each other. And what I'm trying to say, it's a long way of saying it, is I think most of the country is where the two of you are. And I think it's on the intense, heated margins of people who live on Twitter and obsess on cable news. And God love them. We like people who obsess on cable news. But (laughs) 
I think that's just where the feelings get stirred up. And I think that's not really where we are. There was that big New York Times piece a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago now that just showed front page piece that showed the Twitter progressive Twitter is not actually representative of the Democratic Party. And I think that's just such a good reminder for people that the loudest and most intense voices are usually not the most representative ones. So if you can, like you said, explain to people who you are, here's where I'm coming from, here's who my family is. I believe these things, you heard me talk about them, you know where I stand, but I'm still going to tell it to you straight and I'm going to shake your hand and have a beer with you even after we disagree, then I think hopefully most of the country, or at least more than not, will agree and, and think that you're an honest broker. Absolutely. Well, we were listening to your interview with David Letterman, obviously, and I've been listening to Howard Stern on Terry Gross. But there does seem to be some, like, reflection from these giants from, especially from the last couple of decades, looking back. Do you see any overall positive trends in journalism in these sort of media figures where people are taking a step back and saying, I see what I did. I see the cost of it. Let's try to go in a new direction. Or am I just inventing that because I'm an optimist? No, I like your optimism and I like your thesis. I think what I would say about Dave is that happened after he left. You know, the rest Mm -hmm. of us are in the middle of it right now. Right. He's been off the air for four years now. And he basically lived for 33 years, lived and breathed that show, whether it was late night or later, late show. And he said, I woke up in the morning. All I thought about was the show. I went in. I was happiest in my day for that one hour I was out there. We were trying to beat Jay Leno, and then I go home, go to bed, and we do it again. And it was almost like after those 33 years, he stepped through this door and was like, oh, here's the world, and here's some perspective on life, and here's me spending a lot more time with my son, and here's me having other interests that weren't so hyper-focused on TV and politics and whatever we were talking about in the news that night. And I think that came for him in retirement, really, because what you heard in that interview I did with him is a guy I thought was interesting who made very clear that he doesn't like Donald Trump and doesn't want him to be president, doesn't want him to have a second term, but who also sort of was, if you listen to the full interview, especially on the podcast, was almost chiding me and the media and others and saying, okay, every day you wake up and you go to bed and all, all everybody says on TV and the radio is, he says, you know, how, what a bad guy he is. He said, I think the line was, let's stop yakking about what a goon he is and figure out how to beat him in 2020. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes back to your first question, which I think some people, perhaps many people are coming to the conclusion that you have to beat Donald Trump at the ballot box and get serious about that. But to me, that sort of perspective came for Dave when he wasn't in the game every single day. And he realized that there was more to life than politics, exactly what we're talking about, that mm-hmm. it can be a part of your life. And it's obviously a very important part of our what's happening in our country. And people are suffering for our politics. But you can't make it everything that's in your life. So he also said, you know, what I would do, what I would have done in hindsight and what I'd recommend for other people, he said, was do that thing you're really good at and finish doing it 10 years before you think you want to and go do something else with your life. Because he said he wished 10 years sooner 
that he'd gone out and had this perspective and gone and helped people and done other things with his life. But, you know, it's easy to say after the fact, mm-hmm. when you're in the middle of it and things are going 100 miles an hour and you're succeeding, it's a little harder to pull yourself out I mean, of it. it's so fascinating. That's exactly what Howard Stern was saying. I mean, I think he said, I had this singular focus. All I cared about was getting the number, being the most, he's t- at one point, like I was, had one in four listeners and I was depressed. I didn't have four in four listeners on the Long Island Expressway. Like he just couldn't see his way out of it. And he got divorced and went to psychotherapy. And I think it gave him that moment to be like, hold on, wait, let me like zoom out. I think the lesson is like, let's not be a singular focus. And I think best right. I think people feel from you. The reason that you're an honest broker and they do trust you is they don't feel that all encompassing drive. You clearly work hard, but there's more to you than just your work on the Today Show and MSNBC. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, there is. And I hope there's, I'm going to work as hard as anybody and be prepared for every interview and ready for the people who come on our show on Morning Joe and always ready to have a good conversation. But I think, you know, people ask me, like, do you obsess? Do you sit and watch? I prepare like hell the night before. I'm ready mm-hmm. for every show. But I, I think particularly today, these in these political times, when it's in your face 24-7, when I get home, it's my kids after school, and it's like if the TV's on at night, and this is no disrespect to anybody, it's just what I need to do, it's a, a Yankee game or it's something <laughs> from Netflix. Or, you know what I mean? It's like something that's unrelated to the thing that I've been swimming in all day, even when we're off the air after the show, reading on your phone and getting updates and everything else that we're doing to get ready for the show, you just have to step out of it. You know, you have to step out of it to keep your sanity. And I think, again, I think that's how the country feels. The country wants Mm -hmm. to step out of it for a little bit and, and get ready for a presidential election. Well, Willie, thank you so much for being with us. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. On the things that you're in the middle of, what are you really excited about that you want people to be sure to check out? You can also tell us what's in your Netflix queue. I would listen to that as well. Oh, you know what? I want to start watching and I have this isn't Netflix, it's HBO, but that show Chernobyl. Have you heard about that? Oh no. Yes. It's so heavy though. I just don't know if I'm up for it. I know. I, I'm kinda of, I'm I like the idea and I'm hearing a lot of people say it's great. So I, I wanna okay. I wanna watch that one. That's all right. I don't know. But you know what? On Netflix comedy specials, you know, in these times, John Mullaney's catalog, can't oh, recommend it highly enough. He's got three specials on there. I've Those watched are all, all good. of them three okay. times. I love John Mulaney. <laughs> Aren't they good? He's just so good. We do horse in a hospital a lot. Yes. There's a horse in the hospital. Right. That's the signature. I have a nine-year-old son who loves Mulaney, and so we tolerate a few F-bombs just because he's such a good comedian. <laughs> we wanted to learn. It's very, it's very exciting to him. We're, we're sort of introducing some language now as he turns 10. We went to Universal, the theme park in Orlando, a few weeks ago and my wife gave my kids permission to say curse words on roller coasters <laughs> she said on the drops and if you go upside down you can say whatever you'd like that's amazing that's what such a, a good, good parenting idea. strategy yes. <laughs> they've really abused the privilege though because i was sitting next to him and it's like on the slow climb they're already screaming all these words they're not allowed to say and i was like no 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 that's not that was not the deal that's the scariest part, though, is the click, 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 click. I feel them. All right. So you're making the case for more profanity yeah. from the nine-year-old. Okay, that's yeah. fair. Mm-hmm. I tell my eight-year-old all the time, though, not to give those words a bunch of power. They're just lazy, but they're not yeah. powerful. Yes. I don't want to make that's them more right. attractive by making a big deal about them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And don't use them at school. Don't get thrown out of school because yeah, that's going to be annoying. We have to find another school. And, yeah. and it's yeah. a reflection on me. They think I'm a bad parent. So <laughs> roller coasters and Mulaney stand-up specials are the only time. <laughs> oh, and Deadpool. Oh, God, my son saw Deadpool the other day. Not all of it, but part of it. And that that is just a minefield of language. Oh, so gosh. I'm really failing as I listen to myself here as a father. <laughs> but. <laughs> Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, I I would say if you haven't heard the Letterman podcast, it's fun. It's like 
45 or 50 minutes of me and Dave after going fly fishing, sitting by a stream and talking about his career, what he thinks of late night now, what he thinks of Donald Trump, his new Netflix series, which will be in the queue when that comes out soon. I thought that was fun for me to do as a longtime fan of his, and hopefully people enjoy it. Well, thank you again, Willie. We really appreciate your time and love watching you and are just so privileged to have this chance to talk with you. Thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure. Come back on Morning Joe soon. We love you guys. We would love to to come back. Thank you, Willie. Make sure to check out Willie's podcast, The Sunday Sit Down, to hear that extended interview with David Letterman and all of the extended interviews he does. He has Olivia Wilde coming up. He gets to talk to the most amazing people and really draws things out of them that are extraordinary. We'll be back in your ears on Tuesday. In connection with celebrating Memorial Day this upcoming Monday, we are going to share a conversation we had with Jeanette Haney, who is a Ph.D. service member and someone who has a wealth of information to share about the experience of women in the armed forces. We're really thankful for Jeanette's insights and looking forward to sharing those with you. We hope you have a happy Memorial Day, wonderful celebrations with your families. And until we speak with you again, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 